like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and today I've got a special guest, Leslie Hart Davidson. Um, Leslie, go ahead and tell folks about yourself. Hi. <laughs> I am very happy to be with you today. I am a residential interior designer and have the coolest job in the world. I get to help people live better in their homes through great interior design. And I've been doing this since about birth. My estate <laughs> flippers when I was growing up. So I've always been in and around the business. So I've been carrying buckets of wallpaper, paste, and tools for my folks since I was about two. <laughs> um, so I have a, a BA in interior design from Bowling Green State University, and I've had my own company, HDD Studios, uh, for almost 20 years now. Yeah. So things that are important to me, um, above and beyond mentoring all of my interns. I've done that for about a decade now and love my baby so much. <laughs> um, being able to educate others. So I've written three books now. The first one is Remodeling Your House Without Killing Your Spouse because <laughs> homicide is not a thing during No, not a thing. Yep. The second one is called It's Not Your Room, It's You because I have lots of people who are putter offers with their space and wouldn't understand that they deserve to live well in their homes. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that. And then the most recent one is called Food is Love. So yeah. a departure from the design world, but still within the vein of self-help and encouraging people to care. Just give a shit about the people that you're in relationships <laughs> with and feed them. Nice. Is that one out? Or are you still working on that one? It'll is that one? About a month. Oh, Very awesome. Excited. Yes. Very yeah. cool. Well, we have, um, we have the It's Not Your Room, It's You book, but we have, we're still in the putter offer stage. <laughs> As you, if you can see, I don't know if you've got your camera on, but I've always got yeah. all these stacks of boxes behind me when I record with people because um, that's where we are. <laughs> <laughs> but we're working on it. All good. Yeah. So, um, uh, so folks, I've I've asked Leslie to join us today for this podcast because I think sometimes it's really really helpful to go outside of our own field and find concepts 
that are true for humanity in general and bring it in then and make connections to our work with young children. So I asked Leslie if she would come on and have this conversation about setting up environments for children. And I don't have a quote from a book, but I have a quote from a conversation that she and I had um, as we were planning for this. So I'm going to go ahead and, and just read that. And then Leslie, once I've read it, you can kind of expand on it if you want to, and we can, we can go through there. So, so she says, democratic design means that I design with and for my clients. I never design with the naughty prepositions to and at. To and at spaces only benefit the ego of the designer and never the user of the space. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that was really that idea of the, the ego of the designer and never the user of the space, I think was, was really intriguing to me because I talk about teacher ego a lot and how that affects the decisions we make. Yeah. And the, um, the ego can be benevolent, though. It, it sure. isn't necessarily, ha, 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 I'm going to do this. <laughs> it's just sort of a default position because you assume that everybody sees the, way, the world the way that you do, but they do not, especially tiny humans. They do not at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. So talk about what you mean, um, if you would, about designing with and for instead of to and at. In general, those prepositions, so the with and for and to and at, um, (laughs) I I go into great detail in Food is Love about this because there's a whole section about my philosophy of give. Uh So when you are cognizant of others and when you want to help and live in servitude to others there is very much a mindset that with and for is the way to go but to and at like i will talk to you or mm-hmm. I, i'm going to spew words at you rather than <laughs> or at the, it's not collaboration at all uh-huh. uh, but going into anything whether it's it's cooking or designing or talking with others it's the mindset of how can i collaborate in in this sense so in in general terms of humanity in addition to design so i I thought this in in my world of this is how i'm going to live my life and then it translated to this is how i'm going to design for clients Mm -hmm. the idea of democratic design is that when i am done with a space i need the people who live in that space or use that space to continue to use it and live in it well because I'm gone, I'm out of that, that picture afterwards, and it does not serve them at all if what I have done is serve myself. Mm-hmm. So being able to be in a space and imagine the use of others has been something that I, honestly, I found it out when uh, Lily, my daughter, was born. Uh-huh. She is an um, angsty, uh, jerky teenager right now. <laughs> But when she was a really tiny human, um, I, I had much fun setting up the nursery. Um, but what I realized is that the nursery is for parents. It is not for babies at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from the time that she had any ability to walk, crawl, and, and use the space on her own, like I talk about this in It's Not Your Room, It's You, but there's a, a section on baby spaces and how bringing tiny, drooly human into the home changes this space in general. Um, but what I noticed one night, there was a guest um, bed set up, like a little twin bed in her bedroom. And there was a shelf where I kept all the books because we didn't have a lot of storage there. So she would sit with me on the twin bed and I would read her every night. The night that she stood up, crawled on me to reach on that shelf to grab more books because she wasn't done and didn't want to go to bed. <laughs> 
um, I was like, oh, okay, this isn't my room anymore. Ah, it's not. Yeah. So I moved out um, some of the furniture, gave her a soft rug on the floor, gave her her own bookcase where everything was at her level. And I actually sat on the floor and I, I mimicked her height and user tested. Uh-huh sure that she would like it. And then I watched how she reacted to the space. And about every four months after that, we'd change it again. I'd watch very carefully how she used it. And then uh-huh. as her vocabulary grew and I could say, do you like this? <laughs> <laughs> Is this working for you? Um, and then we would make modifications. And sometimes mm-hmm. it worked well, sometimes it failed and we tried again. Yeah. But the adventure has always been, what can we do differently and how can we learn differently? Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, so interesting that you you came to the conclusion that the nursery is is for the parents. Oh yeah. Um, I th- I think that can can be uh, a pretty easy crossover to people who are creating environments for young children in either a childcare center or a family childcare home, which is most of the folks who are probably listening now, um, because it's so easy to fall into that that trap when you have checklists from regulators about things you have to have in the room and um, parents are coming in doing tours and making snap decisions on what they see immediately in the space. Um, So it's really easy. Um, But, but then you talk about um, watching how, how she reacted and watching how she used the space and making adjustments is Mm -hmm. such an accessible um, shift, I think. Oh, yeah. For folks, and we tell people all the time to get down on the floor and look at things from a child's level, but mostly we're looking at health and safety. Like, is there stuff that they're not supposed to grab? Is there a loose screw at the bottom of the table? Not so much. Oh, but perspective. How does it feel? It's it's the whole perspective of the use of a space, and that could make or break their entire learning environment. If if they see wonder and creativity and cool stuff at their level, rather than way up high on uh-huh. boards and colors and things that are bright and higher, uh-huh. their adult eyes would be. It, it's it's a much different perspective to think even beyond the safety. But then it's kind of like Maslow. So you get to the top of that, yeah. Creativity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it when people bring Maslow in. Yeah. Um, so I didn't. I didn't talk about asking you this question, but this just um, occur, uh, sure. sort of floated through my man, mind while you were talking. What um, What do you have to say about like color choice in a space for young children? There's always a lot of debate. Um, a lot of early childhood spaces tend to be really focused on primary colors and now there's sort of a movement to be more neutral and thinking about how that affects mm-hmm. children who are in that space for a long time. Do you have any thoughts about Oh, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I've, I studied color psychology. Uh-huh. The, the number of adults that I've freaked out by just by whipping out a fan deck and showing them possibilities of color, people get really like frightened of that. And uh-huh. what I found with a lot of my adult clients when it comes to um, doing their kids' rooms is that they they try to push their kids into like, beiges and grays. And let's just, let's accessorize with color. I'm like, no, it's not your face. They get to choose. <laughs> and in, in the same way that kids can shove down the, the pixie sticks and the sour patch kids and all those, their taste buds react the same way that the rods and cones do. So the brighter and more ridiculous the color, the more they're like, what? okay, yay. <laughs> so I think that from a, a sensory perspective, uh-huh. the, the brighter and more interesting, the better. 
the more okay. you'll have attention and, and their brains will be happier to be in the space. Look, uh -huh. I'm a psychologist. I do not have a degree in this. <laughs> I, have, I have anecdotal evidence, but sure. I can that kids seem to be happier when they um, are not uh, told what to see and appreciate uh -huh. experience that. So if sure. they don't like that, if there are sensory issues with the kids in that space, then maybe they do need something more neutral. But otherwise, sure. I, I would say don't be afraid. Or don't force your own mm, intolerance of color uh -huh. on children. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think um, framing it in terms of choice is, is a good way for me to wrap my head around that because um, we talk about choice and finding ways to give children a little bit of power over, th you know, when they're mostly powerless in the world yeah, um, yeah. at the ages that we're working with them. And maybe some of that visual interest is a way we can give them um, a little bit of that that choice and power. And if we have someone that who is not responding well, then we change it, you know, yeah. just like, just like you yeah. talked about, we, we watch how they react and we, uh -huh. we can make some adjustments. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you to unpack a little bit. Um, well, I kind of wanted to hear more about ego <laughs> <laughs> and you promised to unpack all of that ego. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know what else I don't I don't know how to frame a question for it because I'm just curious to hear what what that means for you okay. when you're talking about designer ego and how this might fit our conversation. Yes, yes, I can I can give you a very specific example. Mm -hmm. So when I first started my business, it, I would like to say that my my business started me. So there was a need within the community of uh, and this is in upstate New York um, designers who knew window treatments well. And I'm a fifth generation seamstress, so that was a good niche for me. Mm. But the, the market found me. I didn't wake up one day and decide, like, oh, I'm I'm going to be a designer because I had a <laughs> great job running a, a high end furniture showroom and. Mm -hmm wasn't looking to leave. The opportunity just came up, so I did. So the very first client who hired me for purposes of design and making their house look and function better, it was a husband and wife, and they invited me over, and I walked in. The husband took my coat, and the, the wife uh, walked in a little bit more, and he pulled me aside. He's like, look, 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 I have a question for you. <laughs> You're not going to make my wife cry, are you? Oh, no. What? No. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't planning on it. Why do you ask? That costs extra. <laughs> That's a whole different. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I said, I was not planning on it. Can you tell me why you asked me that question? He said, okay, last week we had a designer over and he named the designer and I knew that designer who was a to and at designer. Uh-huh who liked himself a whole, whole bunch. Yes. Um, was known for a specific style. Uh -huh. The clients did not know that they were just looking for an educated professional to come and assist them. So he said, when this designer came over, he walked through the house. He didn't ask us any questions. He pointed to all of my wife's dead mother's furnishings and said, that's ugly, that's hideous, burn it, or I'm not working with you. Oh my gosh. In very dramatic fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and the wife nearly peed her pants because <laughs> it was her mom's stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was meaningful to her. Was it beautiful and fabulous? Uh, you know, I made it work. 
because mm-hmm. it was meaningful to her. So we, we were able to create decor around that. But from mm-hmm. that very moment, when my client first said, are you going to make my wife cry? I knew that my mission in all of my design work would be the, the, the whole idea of democracy because mm-hmm. they deserve to live well in their homes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not always culturally speaking, but even in the, in the early childhood profession, we're not always willing to um, acknowledge that uh, democracy applies to children too. Oh, it, it, it's a more <laughs> painful process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's harder to do. Yeah. Um, Especially when they're in a little group. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've got, you've got a, you know, really diverse needs to be met in that one space. A lot of times you're doing your meals and your play and your mm-hmm. napping and everything all right there. You're, you know, everything, the diaper changing, it's all in that one little bit of space. Yeah. So we tend to get pretty utilitarian in our in our thinking sometimes and we forget um that we're also living our lives in that space um, children and adults oh that that is a challenge especially and, when so much on that the maslow chart there that has to be yeah taken care of just to keep them alive exactly <laughs> or you think about all the other fun stuff yeah yeah um okay so the next thing i i'm curious to hear you talk more about is and this is from the um it's not your room it's you book mm-hmm. the to see if if you have a connection that could be made in your conversation of decor versus design oh yeah yeah uh-huh. and and maybe how we think about how we can apply that to environments for children i mean one is the main meal and one is dessert Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's a matter of what is most practical first. Mm-hmm. Boy, I'm I'm trying to think of the best way to relate this. Well, I mean, I I think um, you know all that stuff that I just listed is the practical sides things we have oh, to yeah. think about when we're in this yeah. space. Um, but just in general, kind of how what's the differentiation for you between decor and des- and oh, design? Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, d- Decor makes stuff pretty. So it's the idea of, oh, isn't that sweet? And uh, it's cosmetic. Design is the, the great intention of planning your space and using it well. So one creates the foundation, the other one like the, the cherry on top. Yeah. A lot of people try to use decor as, as a verb and a Band-Aid. Okay. So when something is horribly wrong with the space functionally they think okay so it's not a matter of like tearing out this wall or <laughs> rethinking the entire floor plan but uh-huh. instead we'll just buy some pillows yeah <laughs> pillows will always do it <laughs> the wall. Yay! and it doesn't and that's that's that sort of uh, um honestly i have a lot of clients who have issues with hoarding oh okay so they oh we're so good at hoarding in early childhood oh, yeah i just <laughs> got my storeroom today and it's it's really frightening this you know, <laughs> manager jen who i absolutely love she stood in there for a good 20 minutes and just kept going oh. it was so frustrated but once i said okay let's just start with this corner and then we can go from there uh-huh. um, it can be absolutely overwhelming and sometimes it's easier to just shut the door and walk away uh-huh. than it is to address the functional issues with it yeah the primary difference between decor and design is that in, in my line of work, frequently I see 
um, my clients trying to use decor to fix or hide bad design choices. Okay. Whether they made them or the builder made them or they are just not using their space properly because they can't, they can't see it. Mm-hmm. That's usually my problem is I can't imagine another way. Like I can see that the way I have it is not working, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it's hard for me to imagine a way that would work better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's another reason I've got all these stacks of boxes behind me. Um, so in, in, I guess the design world and even maybe the food world that you're, that you're stepping into now or are in and now writing about, um, is, is Pinterest an issue? No, it's not an issue. It yeah. is the best thing ever. Oh, good. Cause, cause we kind of go back and forth in early childhood. Like there are people who are really, that's their only source of ideas and they're all, they're really just trying to recreate the cuteness without thinking about the intention that you just were talking about or the process. And yeah. So I just wondered if that was, was sort of a general thing. I have, I have two specific thoughts about that. Okay. One is that the Pinterest as a platform has been one of the best devices of communication that has ever existed and has transformed my (laughs) business. Oh, wow. So I, I, bow to the greatness that is Pinterest because um, it was so hard for me to get clients to do their homework. So they would say, I would like this new space. And I would Uh say, would you like it? How would you like it to look? And they would say, I I don't know, like one of the pretty rooms on HGTV. (laughs) So without um, them having a specific vocabulary to say, I want mid-century modern and I, I would like a palette that's reminiscent of this particular style. And so without that, that knowledge of the different styles, often we would have a language barrier because they would say, well, I want like a French country kind of thing. So I would uh-huh. show them those pieces and they would say, why are you showing me this? I hate this. Uh-huh. But what they meant instead was like retro mod or the, they weren't using the words properly, but if they can scroll through Pinterest and go and like jab their finger Uh and it says this, give me this. It's a starting point for that conversation. So it has been the, the greatest clarifier. I I call Pinterest my babble fish because it just (laughs) every bit of what is in the client's brain without me having to get a hacksaw and, and like go to town and say, let me crack this open and see. What's yeah. Going. Thinking of it as a communication and collaboration tool is really an interesting it, it has shift been for me. Best things yeah. Ever. Okay. Yeah. There, there, there is the flip side to that where I have clients and there's, uh, I'm sure you saw the graphic and it's not your room. It's you with the um, Pinterest monster. Yeah. <laughs> who has like eight arms and has Mason jars and every single one of them. Yes. <laughs> So it is possible for my clients to fall down that Pinterest hole mm-hmm. and when they get to the point and some of your educators might do the same thing because you can sit there and scroll for hours and hours yeah. and you can lose all sorts of time yeah. and you get into the mindset of thinking, but is there more? <laughs> is this the right? Could it be better? What if the next scroll <laughs> is the answer? Yeah, <laughs> like if you're down that deep, really. Yeah. 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 Usually. <laughs> two that you look at that are the coolest ones. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that part of it. It can be excellent as um, a jumping point for communication uh-huh. and for that vocabulary and inspiration. Um, it can be a pitfall for folks who aren't focused. So if you're at all squirrely, it's maybe not the right tool for you. Okay. The, um, there was something else that I was Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, and just thinking of it as one of the tools, I think, 
is is useful too. Like this is one tool that can help us as we're thinking about environments for children. Yes. Um, but there's lots of other elements to bring into the decision making and oh so many. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I inhaled too much and then forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> In the interest, interest of full transparency with the listener, that's what just happened. <laughs> um, I don't, so I don't, are there any like parting thoughts or last little bits of uh, advice or questions you would offer as, as intentional thinking starting points for folks who are thinking about setting up an environment? That, that was like seven questions in one. I'm sorry. One. Okay. So let me pick this apart a little bit, a little bit. Um, keep in mind as I have no experience in childhood education other than <laughs> raising my time. Yeah. Um, and also from the perspective. So everything that I've offered you today mm -hmm. is from, from this standpoint, I am the youngest child in my generation. So I didn't grow up around babies or other young kids. And the way that I raised my kid was like a, uh, just a tiny helpless adult. <laughs> so, and as the like child of academic parents, um, uh -huh. you, 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 you know, you can, imagine. <laughs> you know, I do I do. Um, so she was having lengthy conversations with people and using, crazy vocabulary word yeah. really because I, I never treated her like a, um, one of her favorite phrases when we would go places, uh -huh. um, I took her to the, the bookstore because we couldn't find what we wanted in the library and she wanted a, a book about certain animals and she uh -huh. walked up to the dude because she was maybe four or five, grabbed onto his little shirt and said, excuse me, sir, can you help me find books about this particular mammal? And <laughs> Well, hello, sweetie. Oh my God! And she's she put up her little hand. It's like, sir, please don't infantilize me. Tell me where the book is. Oh yes, ma'am. Okay, this is what we're dealing with here. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I always gave her options and treated her like she was her own being. So I mentioned these things to show you that my perspective is radically different from what you have to do as educators to keep all those kids alive. Mm -hmm. Like God bless you. for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One was crazy enough for me, but having the full room of them, uh -huh. um, but my goal was always to educate and inform and let her experience things from her own perspective. So mm -hmm. I would send her out into the world and, and then say, what did that feel like when you touched it? Or what is that similar to? Do you remember the time we were at such and such? And, and how does that compare? Mm -hmm. So I, it was always about the environment and that sensory experience. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, ha having those questions in mind and knowing what type of lens that I wanted to give her to see the world through and me being a very tactile person like she she still yells at me when we go places and i will do things like touch the walls <laughs> with the finishes or if it's cool wallpaper or something she's, mother please quit it <laughs> um but this is how i experience the world and uh -huh. i get completely normal when when i see kids like touching or um 
rubbing their heads on just to sit like, what does it feel like? Well, yeah, no. absolutely. Um, yeah. So I've, I've always been a fan of that. So I have one toe in your world, uh-huh. and my body entirely out of it from a different perspective. So if I, anything I have said today can be useful from that alien perspective. Yeah. Um, but the, the most important thing really is just getting on that level to experience, like tur- turn your brain up to 11 to see what, mm-hmm. what kids could tolerate and then think about the cool experiences they can have from there. That's the best yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. So often our, uh, like I said before, our thinking when we're setting up an environment for children is what does the checklist say I have to say and how can I keep it safe? So you reframing that as thinking about the experience that they're having in this space, I think makes it a bigger opportunity. Yes. Uh, when, when we're thinking about doing those things for children and for ourselves, cause we're living in the space too. Oh, absolutely. Um, so be functional for you. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. you become happier when the, kids are just geeking out about something that they saw or did or learned that makes a better day yeah Um, yeah. one other thought that I have and again I don't know if this is just the way that my brain worked because I was raised by flippers who (laughs) were all my mama's people were like painters and creators and Mm -hmm. my dad's people uh all had like math backgrounds and tool and die folks so I have the both sides of the brain just fire and on full. There's from my experiences in my own home life and then like nursery school and an early childhood ed, I don't remember the, the schedule of things or the practical stuff that happened day to day. I remember what it felt like when I shoved my hand in that wet clay uh-huh. I remember the the texture of the shag rug that we sat on at story time. I remember the, the vivid green of the bulletin board from one semester. And I remember how the hallway smelled. Uh-huh. Couldn't tell you squad about what we had for no. schedule, but those sensory and tactile things stuck with me. And uh-huh. I don't know, that is true of all kids, but those, those sense memories, um, are more wired in my brain than any type of rigid structure. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's not all kids, if it's just some kids, then it's worth our consideration <laughs> yeah. to, to keep that in mind as we're planning. And I think that's really, um, well, I just think it's a lovely story of memories and, <laughs> and a good spot to maybe end this on. Um, but I will, I want to give you an opportunity if folks want to um, get a hold of you. Do you have a website? I do. I do. HDDstudios.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also find me at designisademocracy.com. Um, my uh, Facebook page, I, I post uh, a ton of things, both at HDD Studios. Um, on Facebook for the business page and Leslie Hart Davidson, um, mm-hmm. only one in the country. So you can- <laughs> That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> easy to find you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. And I, Pleasure. Um, I, th- I think folks are going to really enjoy hearing your perspectives and, um, and, uh, and so I just thank you. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to another episode. We hope you'll come back again. Goodbye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.
This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.